Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association and a mindfulness somatic coach trainer. I'm really, really excited to be talking in this episode with a friend and colleague, Mark Malnbaum. Wait till you meet Mark. He's a fascinating character and you're going to love what he's got to say. Mark is a pioneer in applied mindfulness and founded Mindful Text, Mindful Text, a mindfulness-based text messaging learning platform. His passion for mindfulness developed through challenging life events that fuel his work. He's known as a top-rated startup mentor for his startup experience in over 40 industries and, and has advised hundreds of early-stage founders globally. I can testify to Mark's expertise in this area of startups and his wisdom in that area. He knows so much about it. He's fascinating to talk to. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, Brett. Nice to be here. Thanks for that uh, great intro. And yeah, excited to talk about mindfulness and chat once again. Yeah, it's great. We Mark and I always have a good time talking. And just to put a little context on this conversation, um, almost was it uh, two years ago now, I forget. Wow, yes, yeah, been about Time two flies. years <laughs> since we did a conference called "The Future Is Mindful," and Mark and I were in a mindfulness training program together, and we just had a nice kind of easy collaboration, and it was really nice just chatting. And then we had this notion that you know there might be a need to have a way for people to be able to talk about mindfulness in a business context, like how do I get into that? How do I become more mindful in business? And we 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 did this crazy experiment. We just said, okay, we'll do it. And he came up with this brilliant idea, brilliant name called The Future is Mindful. And lo, lo and behold, soon enough, we had a website and we started inviting these, these people. And wow, uh, were we surprised when most of these uh, characters we invited all said yes. And we had a really fabulous uh, conference. That was a lot of fun to do, Mark. Yeah, that was awesome. And it was very timely. We had a lot of great folks chime in on the conversation. The topic of mindfulness for the workplace is uh, still growing and evolving. And so it, it is, I'm sure it was great learning. I know it was great learning for folks. Yeah, we had a great turnout and we had, you know, some really A-name speakers. Um, I think the website's still up there, thefutureismindful.com, if you want to go check it out. Um, but I know that you've, you've, uh, were at the time and also you've been invested in working with mindful text and also, you know, startups all over the world in terms of getting things started. And so I wanted to talk to, um, to you today about a little bit about how it was that you decided that mindful text was what you wanted to invest in. And then we can talk from there to the broader picture of, you know, mindfulness in business. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Yeah. I've had a very interesting experience in my career. I, I worked for this company this institution called the Founder Institute. And I basically worked at it. Well, actually, my first job out of college was for an AI company called oh, Crimson wow. Hexagon. And basically what I would do, this was like back in 2012, 2013. I was, um, uh, as sentiments were coming in from social media, I would categorize them into positive, negative, or neutral. And basically I was training 
a social uh, an algorithm to recognize sentiments. It right. was called a hand coder at the time, and so that was my first role, wow. uh, and that was a very interesting experience. And um, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco Bay Area in Castro Valley in the East Bay. And the exposure to technology was just, you know, it's part of our right. You're DNA. in the heart of it all right and there. so, yeah, I've been very interested in tech. And so when I found the opportunity at uh, Founder Institute to take part in a startup accelerator, I was like, you know, sign me up. And at the time when I first started, they were, they were, they were already global. They were in about 40 cities globally, uh, but their model was very unique in that it 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 went viral so to speak i helped them scale to 200 cities globally and actually they were running at the peak right before the pandemic about 2000 events per year and through that you can imagine um what, two, how two many 2000 2000 in person <laughs> events per year holy <laughs> that that's i can't even get my head around that yeah and so uh yeah it, it you can imagine the conversations and the energy and the amount of people coming to uh, this place called the Founder Institute to share their ideas. They targeted folks that were in their day jobs. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of people that have ideas. And so how many of them actually take action on, on those ideas? The Founder Institute was there to help early stage people with these nascent ideas really start to take action and understand how to take action. And so, um, you know, what does marketing look like from zero, from nothing, mm -hmm. what, from an idea? What does the legal look like? Should you start a legal thing? Should you start fundraising mm -hmm. right away? And so there was a structured process. The program was actually pretty intense. It was a 40 hour a week program Whoa. Um, for people that had existing jobs. So we <laughs> <Wait>. assumed, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's a big ask. Yeah. So you can imagine most people didn't survive, but the ones that did these, you know, they were really inspiring to work with because they were just, they had a bias for action and were just getting after it. So kind and of a boot camp mentality in a way, right? It was definitely a boot camp. People have called it a gauntlet. Mm -hmm. I've seen people mm -hmm. cry. Going through the program. Oh, right. Of course, of course. I've seen people go through a divorce from going through this program. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you're launching your own business and really investing in your passion, you really got to have a, a stable foundation. And that's kind of where I, among other influences, that's where I found the importance of having a very strong mental foundation mm. when you really just put yourself out there. It's important to really understand yourself and the reasons why you're doing things. I met so many entrepreneurs that, you know, a year or two down the line, they're questioning, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. I, I have no idea. Am I just chasing the money? Am I trying to get women by being a CEO? Yeah. So, you know, there, there's so many different reasons why people do this. And what I wanted to help do and what, what happened at Founder Institute actually uh, about three quarters or about, about the end time when I uh, left the Founder Institute, they, they created a, uh, a mandatory application question where uh, you had to answer what positive do you plan to do with your business? So mm -hmm. there, there was a questionnaire on 
making it mandatory to think about the positive impact of your business. And so um, just getting into more of the reason why I uh, started Mindful Text is part partly that. And uh, so I worked at Founder Institute from 2013 to about 2020, right before the pandemic. And during that time, my father became very ill mm. and um, he was struck with three different autoimmune diseases. Oh, man. And uh, during this time, I, I was learning a lot about mindfulness and the positive impact on well-being. And I wish I knew a lot more about it uh, as my dad was getting sick. Um, but as he was passing, I started to teach him these ideas of really managing his mental health. And, you know, I inherited from him these uh, poor emotional strategies, I'll call it. <laughs> and so I knew that there was some sort of impact there. And that kind of just like really dug into me that there's something here to explore. And so I started to research deeply the idea between uh, the mind-body connection. And as we know now, our mental health deeply impacts our overall well-being. Yes. And so when my dad passed away in 2016, my mom was actually diagnosed with cancer at the same time. So I was wow. struck with maybe potentially losing a second parent. And so at this time in 2016, I was still working at the Founder Institute, being around a lot of great energy uh, from that perspective. But, you know, my family life was um, struggling in that way. And that yeah. I just thought, like, how do I really support my mom as she's going through this diagnosis? And this is where Mindful Text really began. I started to text my mom on a daily basis to oh, check in. And what I would just share mindfulness practices, I would share breathing exercises, I would check in. And, you know, we come from a family that's kind of stubborn. <laughs> and we don't like to listen to external things. So the fact that she was opening up to these, she was also very religious and well, still is, um, and wasn't super open to the idea of mindfulness. But you know, there are different ways to share it, you know, breathing sure, exercises yeah. are mindfulness based. And so I started to share all these mindfulness based practices. And she loved it. She took it on well, and she started practicing, she shares practices with me now. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so that reverse mindful um, text. <laughs> Long story short, I, I texted her and helped her really invest in her mental well-being through text message. And that she she credits me for helping her get through that. And she's on the other side of her diagnosis. She's healthy now. Beautiful. She's in remission. There's no sign of it. And oh, I really so think that it's because of this, this mental clarity and this positivity that started to come about just by practicing mindfulness, right? Because a lot of people think negative thoughts all the time. I'm, I was, a. I remember starting to learn mindfulness in 2011 and most of my thoughts were negative. I, mm. I noticed that and I was like, Oh my God, that was one of the big switches in my head. When I, when I caught when myself, you first became aware that there's, you know, kind of yeah. a lot of unpleasantness going on in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I, how many of 
our peers and people and friends think this way. And yes. really, this Mindful Text is a passion project for me to bring awareness to that and really help bring this practice of mindfulness to address that. And what I've found best is to communicate that through text message. And we're seeing now that it's there's there are interesting things. And I can't go into too much detail about this because we're going to make some announcements pretty soon. But um, yeah, that's a bit of how I got into this space and where we're at now. Wow, that's quite a story and such a... Uh, you know, I'm going to use the term organic way of coming around. Uh, there, here's a need, you know, from a, uh, something that really matters and really made a profound difference. And just within you, the wish to spread this goodness, you know, it's scale. So it sounds to me like the mark that that knows how to scale intersects this mark that has realizes this big need. And, and you just naturally begin to architect something to put that together. Well, I'll mention one thing on that. One of the biggest learnings I learned at Founder Institute, seeing literally thousands of startups and entrepreneurs fail and many succeed, is that the biggest reason why entrepreneurs fail is because they give up. And one big reason why they give up is because they don't have a strong why. And so, mm -hmm. you know, going through this process, I always knew that I wanted to work for myself and work on a startup and launch something myself. I knew going, learning through my experience at the Founder Institute that what is going to push me to be working on this for more than three years, more than five years, more than 10 years, hopefully, is having a really strong why. And so I associated that, I found my why with my family and this, you know, global need for mindfulness in the world. And I, I know that you yourself also feel that passion to bring mindfulness into the world. And it's, you know, great to work with you. And um, you. yeah, it's, uh, that's part of the reason why I uh, am launching in this space. I've developed a strong why and I'm going to keep going. Yeah, beautiful. I know I've enjoyed working with you and of course, uh, using your technology in um, the Mindful Coach method, which, um, you know, listeners may not know because I don't talk about it that much. But the uh, the Mindful Coach method is a class that I teach for coaches and, and what I call coaches and helping professionals uh, that value mindfulness, they, who want to learn mindful somatic techniques. This is like the best stuff that I know after studying with some amazing people. I put it together in this training and part of the course includes a sequence of text messages that come every single day for eight weeks. And that's provided by mindful text. And so I've um, had really, really positive reviews because at the end of it, I say, how did you like the text messaging? And by and large, 90% of all the, all the people who uh, participated in the course, they love, they rave about the uh, receiving these text messages every day as a way to help them ground in what they're learning. So from my point of view, I mean, the your mission was very well achieved in the context of this course. And I imagine that there's a purpose like that in many other ways as well. Like mine's, mine's teaching, my, we're helping my clients, my my students in this case, become more 
connected to the methods and the things like, you know, to, this week's meditation is this, this week's practice is this, so be sure you carve out time for this particular technique today. What are the other kinds of applications for this, like in, in the business world? I know you're deeply involved with that. So how does it play out in that context? Can, can mindful text or the text messaging situation be used to help businesses teach their people how to be more mindful or adopt a more mindful approach in certain teams? The short answer is yes. And again, I can't share too much about what we're uh, doing. We're in the process of making a few announcements. But what I will share is that there, uh, which is in alignment with mindfulness for the workplace, um, if this is where we can go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I recently looked at uh, a study that was published a couple months ago, and this is relevant for anybody interested in keeping track of advancements in mindfulness for the workplace. And it's a study called, you can look this up online, it's a study called Mindfulness-Based and mindfulness-informed interventions at the workplace, a systematic review and meta-regression analysis of RCTs. And RCTs are random, randomized controlled trials. It's like the gold standard for a really great mm -hmm. uh, scientific research study. There were seven authors, and they looked at 91 uh, mindfulness studies in the workplace that were very high quality. And there were about 5,000 participants. And the good news is that mindfulness, yes, is a positive impact for the workplace. There were some interesting things to share that I'll just review really quickly here. The types of interventions that were uh, used, I can reference here quickly. MBSR, of course, is highly referenced, mindfulness-based stress reduction. For those that don't know, it's one of the most widely uh, used forms of mindfulness-based practices. It's in over about 700 hospitals in the world. Um, so there's a lot of research behind it, but there's a growing expansion into different types of mindfulness-based interventions. And going along into your point a little bit, um, the study saw that there wasn't a, a big difference in MBSR versus other types of interventions. MBSR mm -hmm. still is the most validated and provides the most impact, but there is a, a growing trend and efficacy for new mindfulness-based interventions. And that's kind of where Mindful Text is going now to discover new mindfulness-based interventions, mm -hmm. uh, specifically through text message. And uh, yoga-based interventions were measured um, meditation courses were also measured as well. An interesting thing here that I thought um, is good to cover as well is the difference between mindfulness-based interventions and mindfulness-informed interventions. Okay. And so I've been recently learning these terminologies that uh, is kind of more technical, uh, but I find it interesting <laughs> that hey, I imagine our geek, audience geeking out here. <laughs> yeah, I imagine our audience might be interested in learning about this as well. So I, I'll cover that if you're if, if I no, can. I'd love to. You know, I'm all about the tech. Yeah. So mindfulness-based interventions are primarily focused on learning or enhancing mindfulness, where mindfulness-informed interventions incorporate mindfulness principles, but also integrate other other methods. Oh, and see. so 
for example, a breathing meditation is a mindfulness-based intervention when it specifically focuses on cultivating awareness by observing your breathing patterns. But if a uh, like a Wim Hof breathing exercise is a mindfulness-informed intervention, for example, because it, it targets specific physiological or psychological outcomes. So that's kind of the definition okay. that they're thinking about here. Interesting, interesting. Um, another point from that study is that online interventions were as effective as analog interventions. And so in-person had similar impacts to online uh, courses. Well, that's huge. Based on this study, which was interesting. Uh, well, this is coming from my own <laughs> analysis of this. I'm not a, an actual researcher, although oh, okay. I am going to be cited in a uh, research study pretty soon, hopefully. Uh, but I recommend folks really dive into this yourself to get your own understanding. This is just my kind of brain dump on learning okay. this. So don't don't take my words as the gold standard for everything you're learning here. This we'll is just take it a, as a silver standard. <laughs> <laughs> just a call to, you know, there, there's a lot of great research going into the mindfulness space. And so one of the reasons why I want to share this is to inspire more business leaders to, that aren't using mindfulness for the workplace to really explore it because there's a lot of great research and evidence to show that this is a really great tool to be teaching your people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, indeed. And so the benefits to two businesses are many and manifold. Man and there's there's a little bit of a criticism around that, like in terms of um, businesses that just like, oh, we need a mindfulness program so we can buff up our employees to deal with the tough circumstances that we have. What do you have to say to people who... Um, who are more critical of mindfulness adventure or mindfulness uh, initiatives from corporations um, considering that, that particular critique? Well, I empathize with them because they're getting bombarded with so many different options and it's hard to know what type of mindfulness is going to be good for people. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a valid concern and point. Um, I think one thing that I know that a lot of great HR folks and people in business are doing is testing out new things. And so, you know, my thought to that is don't knock it till you try it. And yeah. if it works, then, you know, then, you know, win-win scenario there. That's yeah, exactly. I, I have a, um, I would say it's a win-win, like you say, in the sense that I feel like if a, let's say a corporation has this very toxic environment, and they decide to implement mindfulness training for their employees, um, and the intent is to help employees be quote unquote more resilient, uh, so that they can deal with this toxic world more effectively. But one of the side effects, I think, might, comes out of this is that people wake up to the fact that the impact of this toxicity is really, like you said earlier, you know, it's, it's physical. It has, a, it has a significant consequence on the, your capacity to have a happy life, be healthy, be happy, engage in a fulfilling, satisfactory you know, life experience. And if your workplace is a really negative contributor to that, becoming more mindful makes that more so of a somatic truth that you realize as opposed to just something you power through. And so in some ways, 
they can get the opposite of resilience. They get um, a willingness to enforce a boundary around that and saying, I'm sorry, but this has got to change or, or I can't be here. And so I think maybe that was somewhat of what happened with, um, you know, COVID and the Great Resignation is that people had a chance to take a step back because of this, not because people were, were forced to be more mindful, but they had a, the opportunity to experience a different way of relating to work that wasn't like in the pressure cooker. And it's kind of like, you know, this is so much better that I just won't take the alternative. <laughs> so in a certain way, the mindfulness training could be, uh, if they don't intend for it to be um, actually beneficial to employees, can kind of wind up turning up the uh, the heat within the staff to become a more uh, human-centric organization. Yeah, that's an interesting and very nuanced topic, in my opinion. I think mindfulness is, personally, I think mindfulness is very much a long-term investment. And I can certainly see how bringing mindfulness to a very toxic organization can very much create chaos, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, what you can just logically think through that. If a toxic organization continues, what does toxicity do to an organization? It's just going to slowly, you know, kill the organization over time. So even if, you know, if you do work in a toxic organization or have some level of toxicity, I definitely think that mindfulness should be considered as a tool to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, is this, are there any other trends in, in mindfulness and wellness as a whole that you wanted to talk about that you've been keeping your eye on? Yeah, I, I love talking about trends. You know, I come from the startup accelerator space. And so it's just been, uh, it's ingrained into me to keep up with these kinds of things. One thing that I noticed is um, I've seen like maybe a dozen sleep related businesses pop up and, uh, you know, Calm and Headspace both have their own sleep uh, functionalities. And there seems to be a lot of room for helping people sleep better. I'm curious what your own sleep practice is. And before you do, I'll share my own and some of the ways that I um, work on it. I My my wife gets very jealous of me uh, about my <laughs> sleep habits because basically I can fall asleep in like two minutes when I try. There are some occasions where I'm just like so many thoughts coming through uh, and I can't sleep. And in those right. occasions, I love to do very simple breathing exercises. So just counting my breath in and counting mm -hmm. it out, that, you know, just knocks me out. Um, or just doing some sort of guided meditation also. But I don't like to sleep with technology in my ear and the kind mm -hmm. of, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But another thing that I do, if I'm feeling like I'm getting less quality sleep over time, is I like to do an extended fast. I'm actually in oh, a... That's I'm in a second day of a three-day fast right now. And I noticed a little bit of brain fog recently. And so when I notice those kinds of things, I like to do a fast. And when I do a fast, uh, like I think I'm on like 
hour 30 something right now. I noticed that when I, when I fast for the first 24 hours, I wake up instantly um, oh, on the wow. second day. And it's just way easier for me to wake up. There's no like grogginess in the morning. And so that's one reset that I do to help with my own sleeping patterns. Definitely breathing exercises. If you're not trying any breathing exercises or don't use them for sleep and you have one day that you are struggling with sleep, I definitely recommend doing a breathing exercise and um, research fasting if that's something. But I'd love to hear what you're what what you like to do. It's funny we're talking about. It. I have sort of a problematic relationship to sleep. I uh, I go to sleep quickly and wake up slowly, um, and in between it's variable. Um, some days I'll have really great sleep, and other days I don't. And I have very active dreams, and and the dreams can range anywhere from the kind that I. I um, I have kind of an, an unusual relationship to dreams too, and that I sometimes realize I'm having a bad dream, and I'll just work myself to waking up uh, because I don't like the dream. So I'll sometimes I'll just become aware I'm dreaming a bad dream, and I'll go, oh, I just need to change this up, and um, I'll change the dream. Um, and other times I know I've got to just wake myself up. In fact, the other day I had one of those. Remember the movie Inception, right? Where you dream and you dream and you dream. I, I had a double Inception dream where I woke up and I was still asleep in the dream and I had to wake up again. And then I was still asleep. And finally, I, I, I forced myself to into actual waking, you know, open my eyes and, oh, yeah, here's a bedroom. Now I know it's real. Uh, so I, that's I, I have those kinds of strange phenomena happen in my sleep sometimes. But overall, um, I don't have a lot of super sophisticated rituals around it. I developed one whenever I was younger that I use sometimes where I just imagine when I'm having trouble sleeping or going to sleep, I imagine climbing a ladder. I'm just like, and it's very repetitive. It's just like climb, climb, climb. And eventually I get to where I just keep, I lose awareness that I'm, with my intention and I'm, and I'm asleep. Very cool. It sounds like you are, uh, you can lucid dream or something like that. Is that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I have lucid dreams. Um, I have a relationship to dreams, uh, the physics of dreams. There's things about the physics in dreams that's different. Like, have you ever noticed that, have you ever been in a dream where you look at a clock or you read a book and then you look at it again? And it's I'm never not the very same. good at lucid dreaming. I want to become more proficient at it. Uh, and I think there's some interesting things in the future for, I, I, I met this founder that's basically doing some sort of dream university oh, and fun. helping people uh, manage their dreams. And so I think that's, it's a fascinating space. And I also heard from, I forget who it was, uh, but it was like one of the top engineers at Google. <laughs> this is going to sound crazy to some people, but <laughs> he said, he said that uh, he works in his dreams and solves problems. So he lucid dreams and gets work done while yeah. he's sleeping. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, it's like. But I want to leverage that time too, you know, like it's completely <laughs> unleveraged time. <laughs> that's right. Extra work done, you know. What Maybe not heck? work, just, you know, just figuring out life stuff even. <laughs> Well, Planning a vacation, yeah. maybe. 
See, I'm, in my dreams, I'm always trying to find, um, I have a recurring theme in my dreams where I'm like, um, I have, I have like a room full of stuff. Like I've been in some hotel or retreat or some conference center for like a year and my room is full of stuff. And suddenly it's the day to go home and I'm going, I have a room full of stuff. How am I going to get all this to the airport? And I'm trying to figure out where the terminal is and how to pack all this stuff. I mean, I have that dream all the time. It's like, and so I, I actually went on a mission. It's like, okay, I'm going to make myself, I'm going to wish myself into having the dream where I actually get the ticket and I just leave all the stuff behind. So, because I just wanted the experience in my dream of going home, you know, getting there. And, and I achieved that for a little while and that was great. But now I'm back to having the room full of stuff and it's time to go uh, dream. So it's so. <laughs> I do think it's important to have some sort of consciousness around dreams in general. Yeah, I, I remember one time a bunch of years ago, I had a, uh, a bad dream and I noticed that it was impacting my day life. And I was bringing, I brought my emotion that I felt in the dream to externally. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's important to bring mindfulness to, you know, your emotions in the dream state. Yeah, no, no doubt. I, I have very serious dreams uh, where I have um, emotional, quasi-spiritual experiences that stay with me for days and days. And so there's something, there's something going on there that's unusual. And uh, I'd like to know more about uh, dream and, and sleep health, you know, so to the degree that there's tech around to facilitate that, I'm all about that. So I'm looking forward to anything. Let me know if you find anything useful in that dimension, and I'll and I'll post it on the to the readers as well to followers of the show. Well, yeah, they're basically they're bringing a lot of mindfulness based practices to help people with sleep. So that was the transition into how mindfulness is connected to sleep. So definitely something to explore there. Well, right, because I think that when you do mindfulness practices, you're, you know, you're changing your neurology and that's going to impact your experiences, not only everywhere in your life, and that includes sleep. So that'd be very interesting to see um, research around sleep and mindfulness, like does it change your dreams or does it change your quality? Of I don't think there's been much done in that area. I don't think so either. But uh, definitely, uh, I remember hearing a scientist talk about how our dream time is going to be uh, one of the next frontiers. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That sounds that sounds great. So, um, what's next? I know you've got some big announcements you can't reveal yet, but like, what's uh, what's lighting you up these days? What's where's your frontier? My frontier. Hmm. Well. You know, as a founder, I think it's important to continually find those and build those up yourself. And so it's it's an interesting question to think about. Um, really, what motivates me is just that I'm working on a positive impact mm -hmm. idea and Good project. Fun. Yeah. And past that, you know, the impact that we make with people is... Awesome. Getting feedback from folks. Definitely. You hear that a lot, really, from a lot yeah. of different founders. Like when when they're uh, the people using their platform or working with them share testimonials, it's really a great way to uh, 
motivate yourself um, or get motivated. Uh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> definitely um, I wouldn't be working in the same direction we're working if we weren't seeing positive impacts. Um, so what I can share is that there, there are a lot of great areas that we're exploring and we're excited to soon uh, double down on the right, the right place. Beautiful. Well, I'm excited to see what you do next. And I really appreciate you being on the show. It's always a blast to talk with you. And and we never know where we're going to go, but that's part of the fun. And so, uh, so thank you for taking time to be on the show today. And I appreciate so much your work. And I'm looking forward to the next cohort of the Mindful Coach Method, which is going to use, you know, Mindful Text once again. Um, so blessings to you. And thank you for being here. Thank you, Brett. Great to chat.